0: up to it and as difficult or as painful as they may be we just we face up to it and we're willing to accept whatever happens Or, or the second option I think is we run and hide and we escape into denial and comfort and we do everything we can to avoid it we just we just put it over there and we run for our lives you know the truth is for us in our fallenness for us as humans We run from biblical realities all the time and we escape into denial and personal comfort. This morning's text is a perfect example of that. We're going to look at uh, Genesis 6 today. We're we're continuing our short series in Genesis, examining the five um, key narratives, uh, which simply means, uh, this is the story of. You would have seen it there in the middle of that passage I read. These are the generations of Noah. This, This is the story of Noah. Um, you can open your Bible to Genesis 6 um, through 9 if you're not already there. Let me read you the summarizing title of Genesis uh, 6 to 9 from this, uh, this children's Bible. right? I've got, um, we've got this Bible. Noah builds a big boat. All right, Noah builds a big boat. You've got um, some family members here and you've got a big, incredible boat. Um, you've got a stubborn donkey over here. He doesn't seem very happy about it. Um, you've got all these cheery animals. I've never seen crocodiles look so smiley um, in all of my life. Um, and then there's some rain. There's a bit of a storm here. It looks, it looks um, really not that dangerous at all, right? It looks like it's... Well, that's nice. They're in a big safe boat and they're fine. And they're praying on the boat. Uh, and, uh, and that's it. That's, that's the story. So the story of the flood um, for our children is that uh, Noah builds a big boat. Uh, and that's... Uh, that's a little bit sad, isn't it? Is that really the, the reality that we want to teach our kids? That, that the story of the flood is a story about Noah building a big boat? Does that look like we're running from a biblical reality at all? This, uh, this story that we're going to talk about today is one of the darkest, most disquieting stories in all of the Bible. And if we run from it, we miss enormous biblical realities. The flood is not a pretty story. There is nothing nice about it. There is nothing cheery about it. It's terrifying. And if we run from that, and if we, if we run uh, to our comfort and to the things that we like to tell ourselves about the world, um, we, we miss God's reality for us. And we miss growing in that. Verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God sees, God regrets, God judges, God sees. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Notice the contrast here. When was the last time that the Lord saw? The Lord sees in Genesis one thirty-one, And God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good in the beginning God saw that it was good and now that he now he sees that it's wicked that's all he sees every thought was only continually evil so what's evil right in this in this situation what, what's God seeing um, and and the understanding of that word evil is evil is what is not good no good is it's a, it's a silly way. It sounds silly, but the understanding of that word, right? Ra, uh, R-A-A-H, no good. Pertaining to that which is not morally pure or good according to a proper standard. Listen to this. Implying this evil hinders or severs a relationship to a person or principle which is proper. I made mankind in my image. This is what God is saying as he looks upon the earth. I made them and they were good and the earth was good uh, and I made them to reflect me and image me in their relationships and their activity across the earth but they've sinned against me and turned away to themselves. God saw that it was good and now he looks at the earth and he sees that it's evil. That every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What are the rules at this point in time? This this is pre-Ten Commandments. What are the rules? What are they supposed to be doing? What are they doing that is so wicked? It seems like we don't really have a, a clear framework, do we? Listen to the start of the Bible, right? Listen to the way God established humanity. Love and serve me as your creator. Respond to me with your love. Depend on me. Turn to me. Receive my relationship and care and provision serve me with all of your life and take care of my world be productive be fruitful multiply across the earth as dependent images of me but mankind we would rather be independent and we would rather build our own reality without god and without his care and without his provision you see that's What happened when God created the world? God created mankind to depend on Him. That's the way He designed us. To need Him, to long for Him, to desire Him, and for mankind to serve each other, to move towards one another in light of God's care for them, God's love for them. Love God and love others, right? This is the new commandment that Jesus gives us. So evil... What's evil? Evil is throwing off the God reality of the whole world and forming your own reality in denial. I don't want to accept your reality, God. I don't want to accept dependence on you. I don't want to be needy. I don't want to be vulnerable like that. I would rather make a reality for myself independently. Evil is human independence separate from God. It's loving needing or desiring anything more than God in your heart. Jesus picks up on this, doesn't he? In the New Testament, Matthew 15, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. It isn't necessarily about what mankind was doing at this point in time, rather what they were believing. We can live apart from God. Can you see the significance of this? Can you see the weight of this? The creation. The creation, right? The created ones saying back to the creator, we don't need you. We don't want you. We don't want to live how you designed us to live. We don't care for your design and your order and your world. What? Like, like, hang on a second. Is Do you think that in any part of you, you can live apart from God? Like, is there even a small part of you that that thinks that? Like, any part of you? Like, any remote, distant thought, like right on the peripherals, is there any part of you that thinks that you can live apart from God? Evil in our hearts leads us to believe we can live apart from God, and it possesses us. It spills out of our hearts and corrupts God's world, making us deserving of God's judgment. Verse 6, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. God regrets. God sees and God regrets. God looks upon the earth and sees that man's wickedness is not good. Regretted. Think about this word here for a second. This is not God looking distantly upon his people from afar. This is Yahweh looking upon humanity as a tender father, seeing the folly and the stubbornness of a rebellious and disobedient child. It's it's not anger. It's more like a deep sadness. It's like someone who's personally injured and affronted. Can you imagine that the pain of seeing your, one of your children deliberately rebel against you? Like, deliberately and intentionally rebel against you and deny your place as their parent? Like, right? And to just deny your place of parent and provider and, and care, a carer, protector. Can you imagine the pain of that? Perhaps you know that firsthand, right? You might have glimpses of that. Now, now, amplify that to the level of a perfect, loving, sovereign God and creator. God regretted. He was in a state of sorrow and regret. Now, listen, just, just think about this for a second. What does he regret? He doesn't regret man's sin. He doesn't say God, it doesn't say God regretted that man sinned. And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth. All Like, is that heavy? Because that should be really heavy. God regretted that He made man at all. That That is really troubling. And the tone there, like the, the weight inside of those words, this is a personal expression. This isn't a distant thing, right? This isn't a, oh, I made a bit of a mistake over there. This is a deeply personal expression for god the regret has to do with the relationship it grieved him to his heart he looked and he saw mankind living apart from him separated their hearts filled with evil thoughts and he was filled with pain these are my people and they've abandoned me I made you and I love you and it deeply hurts me to see what you're doing. Verse 7, So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. God judges. I will blot out man. No longer exists. Wipe clean, destroy. The wickedness of man at this point is at the point of no return. I have to cleanse the earth and recreate it. I will blot out, right? Wipe clean. We're not talking about a little bit of discipline. We're talking about completely starting over. I'll blot out man whom I have created. Now think about this for a second. This isn't a question of what's your take on this, right? This isn't a question of whether you think... Um, you've got a different opinion, whether you think it was too severe or maybe there was a different way, as if we have a moral leg to stand on in any way. It was the creator of everything. The sovereign God judging his creation for their wickedness. There are no scales here. It was God in his sovereignty and his power and his completeness uh, and his completeness making a perfect and just Judgment on mankind. God is the sovereign creator and judge over all who does as he pleases. And he is just in his judgment. For I am sorry that I have made them. You can, you can run and hide all you want from that. But it, it will catch up to you. God, God is not your buddy, waiting to do as you please. He is the sovereign, just judge of all. And that's what the flood reveals to us. A sovereign God who is just in His judgment. Verse eight, but Noah found eyes. Sorry, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Ella, Toledo, Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is the second key narrative, right? We talked about the first key narrative creation last week. This is a story of recreation. Now, notice here uh, didn't they just talk about the, the introduction of the flood, right? The, the previous. Uh, verses verse 5 to 8 didn't they just talk about this and they they repeat it here verse 9 to 13 the first account uh, if you have a look at the title for God there the Lord saw and the second account have a look for the title of who, who, who that is there that's God right so there's two different words that they use for that and they do this all throughout the Bible the first account is Yahweh and the second is Elohim and it allows us to see different aspects of God's personhood Elohim The true God, the mighty one, the majestic one, the transcendent God, the one above and over all. And Yahweh, the true God who has made covenant with his people, personal. The Lord saw, Yahweh saw, right? See the distinctions in the accounts as you read them? Similarly to the creation accounts, right? In Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, there's, there's different titles for God in them, and they're giving us a different um, element, a different aspect of who God is, and we see more of Him in that. We see a retelling to give us a fuller picture. This is important, right? Let me say this another way. Uh, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way, on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Look at the literary pattern um, to see how God responds here. Verse eleven A. The earth became corrupt before God. B, the earth was filled with violence. C, all flesh had become corrupt. And then a reversal The end of all flesh is coming. Verse thirteen. And then another reversal back to B, the earth was filled with violence and then a resolving statement, I'm about to corrupt the earth. God sees and then responds accordingly. You see that through verse 11 through 13. One more statement here um, on the end of the uh, story of the flood here. Genesis six seventeen. just jumping down to what actually happens here. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Chapter 7, verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. Chapter 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened this was no ordinary overflow it is portrayed as a veritable reversal of creation i'm reversing what i've done if you if you think about the creation account at the start of the bible there was chaotic waters and god brings a garden out of chaos right god is to the garden bringing chaotic waters again there is a reversal. One, uh, one commentator states um, of the passage here, the extraordinary term mabul, the flood of waters, indicates the unparalleled cataclysmic nature of the event. That the picture here is the, the heavenly or the upper part of the cosmos ocean is allowed to fall upon the earth. It's cataclysmic. Chapter 7, verse 21, And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. The music team can come up now while we transition. We made a mess of God's world. We deny him as creator and we deny him as sovereign God and we put ourselves in his place and we're under his wrath. And we deserve, the reality is, we deserve any and all judgment that he gives to us we deliberately choose in our hearts and through our actions to love and serve things other than God, which denies the very truth of the entire world, right? In doing so, we deny the very truth of the entire world that all creation was made to glorify and humanity made to image the one true God above all else. To do anything else is to live a lie, and deny the Creator the worship He is due. All for idols that will enslave us. Romans 2.8 But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. We? We're going to take communion this morning and we're going to take it in light of God's just judgment raining down on sinners. We need rescuing. We need shelter from the storm of judgment. We, we cannot stand under the weight of it. By God's grace, by the grace of God, we find it in Jesus, the spotless lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the perfect sacrifice for sin, the propitiation for us, whose blood cleanses us and whose broken body absorbs the wrath of God. We need rescuing. We, we eat and drink this morning. We, when we take communion in a moment, we eat and drink with trembling. Knowing that Christ is for us the ark, right? The boat that shelters us from God's judgment. We find shelter inside of Christ, inside of His sacrifice, sheltered from the wrath of God. And by faith we take uh, these elements, right? This drink and this bread... Into ourselves in a similar way, right? Into ourselves, knowing that Christ's work was perfect and complete, satisfying God's wrath completely, and restoring us to relationship with Him. So we're gonna we're gonna pass around the communion, and we're gonna we you can start passing it around now. If you're if you're not a Christian today, um, it'd be really good for you to be. If you don't know Jesus and you, and you haven't uh, taken Him uh, at His word and for His sacrifice, um, and you're not ready to, don't take communion, but if you are ready to take communion, if you're ready to receive Christ and receive His salvation, then eat and drink knowing His work is perfect and complete. But as we, as we pass around uh, the elements, we'll just take a couple of minutes to consider god's just judgment and that christ uh, is for us the ark the shelter from the storm of his judgment god just like it's uh, a little dark in the room this morning uh, it was really dark when you flooded the earth it's a really really dark time Would you help us to uh, sit underneath uh, the reality that you are a sovereign God who rules over your creation. And by your grace, uh, in your your mercy, you provide uh, a perfect sacrifice to us. Um, Jesus, your son, a propitiation who takes your wrath, who absorbs your wrath into himself so that we can be reconciled to you. Let me, let me give you a couple of pieces. We, uh, we live a human existence that's, that's full of tension, all right? Uh, and and uh, that's all of life for everyone who's ever lived. Um, and one of the tensions that we see in the flood is this tension of uh, pain and, and destruction and something that's really hard to deal with, but this tension of great joy and deliverance. And we need to learn how to hold those in, in tension, don't we? Uh, For some of us here, um, all we know is how to avoid um, the difficult, um, painful, hard topics. And uh, for us as a community, we need to learn to lead one another back towards those areas to face them, right? And, And to look them in the face and to look the realities of God in the face that make us most uncomfortable and to allow Him to transform us through them. But for some of us, all we know is darkness and all we know is judgment and all we know is weight and we as a community to help lead each other back towards God's joy and deliverance for us and the work that He's done through Christ and allow Christ to transform us through that. So the second part of this morning is a lot shorter because the kids are back, uh, but it's God's deliverance. Uh, it's, it's all about God's deliverance. Let me, uh, let me just show you something right here. Um, just turn this bad boy on. I, uh, I, bought, I bought a torch this week um, and it's a, pretty, uh, it's a pretty incredible thing. I'm going on a... On a bit of an expedition soon, and uh, and I'm really really stoked to have it. It's 1,700 lumens, this bad boy. So it's not your everyday 300 lumen off the shelf um, black diamond head torch. I mean, this thing's like this thing's got it going on. Um, and uh, and you know what you know what the thing about this torch is? Most head torches, right? You put it on your head and you're off. Like you just you put it on your head, you t- put a little button on, and you're good to go. The thing that's really special about this thing is it's got a battery pack. So down here you probably can't see sorry I'll just well I'll I'll turn it off to say this is a battery pack for the head torch when have you ever seen a head torch with one of these right and this head torch only works when it's connected to this source I can just unplug it here and I've got nothing I can walk around all I want with this and I'm not going to see very much um well no you are (laughs) you're going to see now because it's unplugged all right uh, and uh, and that's, this is the reality of the second part of this whole uh, story. The second part of the whole flood story is that we are made to be connected to God. And that is what is so heartbreaking about the flood account is God sees his people abandoning him and it breaks his heart. But on the other side of the, uh, of the uh, story is this story of God longing to be in relationship with his people. So God remembers... God covenants and God blesses. Chapter 6, verse 8, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God remembered Noah. When you are surrounded by evil and you persevere in the grace given to you, God remembers. He does not miss a thing. He sees that and he knows it and he remembers it. Take heart in your good work and your service. Take heart in your perseverance. Take heart in your faithfulness. Witness, take heart in your being forgotten by men, because God remembers. Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears hear their cry. Sorry, his ears toward their cry. Job 34, for his eyes are on the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. You are not unknown, you are not anonymous, God remembers you. What is the ground for favor in God's eyes? Right. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter six, verse nine. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah lived as he was made to live, walking with God. Right. Walking with God. That walking is just very. It's very simple. It's it's the description is like walking to and fro, strolling together. There's an ordinary expression there, right? Intimacy, connectedness, knowing one another, centering on God, submission to God. If you don't know Christ today, he's calling you to walk with him. That is what he's calling his creation to do. He made us, he knows us, and he wants us to be a part of his family. He wants you to live as you were made to live, as you were designed. God remembers, God covenants, And God blesses, God covenants. The ark, right, the story, the ark goes through the water. The waters begin to dry up. God God sends a wind and the, the waters begin to dry up. They disembark and God establishes a covenant with Noah. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. God desires to be in relationship with us to give himself to us and to have us give ourselves to him. God moves toward us to initiate relationship with us, right? He begins in the Garden of Eden. He establishes relationship and he even he designs us for that. He designs a very fabric to be connected to him. And he did with Noah, and he continues to do so throughout the whole Old Testament. He continues to move towards his people and desire a relationship with them and covenant with them. This is the Noahic covenant, right? The first of, of a, a number of Old Testament covenants where God is pursuing his people and he's trying, he's trying to do everything he can to be in relationship with them. And then ultimately in Christ, who moves towards us to the point of becoming human. And dying a perfect death to initiate a new covenant, an eternal covenant, an unbreakable covenant between God and man. This is what what God has been doing all along. Through the story of the Bible, I want to be in relationship with my people. And that is a great hope for us this morning. God covenants with us in Christ. Come and be my people. And three, God blesses. I'm going to invite the the music team up again. We're going to finish today um, in in rejoicing in, in God's work. God blesses Genesis 9, 1, and God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I said before that the flood was about an act of recreation. He restates the creation mandate here, doesn't he? God bless Noah, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Think about this. Christ isn't simply a means of rescue from judgment. He is the power to live as we were made to, in communion with God as our source of eternal life and joy. Christ doesn't just rescue us from judgment, right? That's not all that Christ is for us. Phew! Christ is not simply that. Christ is inside of us, right? We are His temple. He lives inside of us as the power of of the Holy Spirit, to live as we were made to, to live in communion with God. That's the gospel hope for us today, that we are not simply spared judgment. That is a precious thing and that is a precious reality. We are reconnected to the source of life. We didn't want God and we didn't want His life and His eternal satisfaction. We wanted our own lives and our own comfort and our own kingdoms, but in Christ God opens our eyes to see our folly and draws us back into relationship with him. He rescues us from the flood of God's judgment and covenants to be with us forever. Has our eternal joy. See the um let me let me point out a, a biblical pattern here. Creation, the flood, the Exodus, Joshua at the Jordan. What's the picture that they give to us? Through the chaotic waters into new creation. Creation, chaotic waters, new creation. The flood, chaotic waters, new creation. Exodus, chaotic waters, right? They pass through the waters into a new reality for them. Jesus uh, and his life and, and particularly his baptism symbolizes him becoming the one for us who would rescue the world by going into death, into the chaotic waters, of sin and God's judgment and come out the other side, opening up a new reality for his people into new creation. Jesus is that person for us who then becomes the power of God inside of us to lead us through the same. We, we are baptized, right? As God's people, we are baptized to symbolize our dying to ourselves. And are rising with new life in Christ. So this morning, God remembers, God covenants, and God blesses, and we rejoice. We exalt in a God who saves us from the flood by offering up himself. Not us. He doesn't offer us. He offers up his very self to become for us a sacrifice to satisfy his wrath. And we celebrate that. We have life because of his death. Stand up. Um, why don't you stand with me and we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate Christ's work together. I want, you to, uh, I want you to feel it. I want you to know it deeply in your heart. So let me pray. Jesus, would you uh, help us to take hold of the tension that exists here in the flood. On one side, uh, judgment and destruction On the other, mercy and deliverance. And we just give thanks for your mercy and deliverance of us, of our our very lives, of our very souls, by the work of Jesus on the cross to deliver us from your judgment forever, eternally. Would you help us to take hold of that? Would you help us to see that? With our kids, with our families, in our communities, would you help us to lead each other towards these tremendous realities? Would you lead us to hold them in tension and to respond with uh, our hearts, to respond in worship and adoration for a sovereign God who rules over his creation justly. Help us to rejoice this morning. We rejoice in God's deliverance for us. Let me read Psalm 18 as we close this morning. Verse 16 to 19, He sent from on high, He took me, He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. Take heart in God's delighting of you this week. Amen.